Uh, let's pray tonight. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to minister to your people. We ask that your word will minister to us in simplicity and in clarity of speech. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, for the past two weeks now, we've been on a journey, and our theme for um, this series has been for this reason. And uh, we took it from um, Peter's epistle. You know, in, in theology, they call this the Petrine Epistles. That means it was written by Peter. And the first um, epistle, or first Peter, was written by Peter to encourage saints who were scattered across different regions of Asia Minor, or Ephesus, you know. Um, and it was written to encourage believers who were mostly converted Gentiles about the rejection, the suffering that they were going through. Uh, when you become a Christian, one of the things we have to learn how to do is know how to encourage people when they are suffering. Thank God that that's why the, the book of First Peter is written. So it's written to encourage believers who are going through different forms of trials and testings and suffering for the sake of their faith. And I keep on saying this, and I think it's very important to stress it again. When God calls you to become a Christian, you are not exempted from life's ills, hardships, and sufferings. I understand what I mean. You, you have to really understand that. So the trump card that sometimes certain evangelists pull, like when you come to Christ, all your problems will be over. It's not really true. It's not true. The difference between an unbeliever and a believer is that we all face problems, we all face trials, we all face tests, we all face hardships, but God gives us the enablement, the empowerment to be able to go through whatever test we may experience at that time and come out on top. That's what God desires. God's destiny is that every believer that encounters any unpleasant situation, not so nice scenario, you will come out on top. That's God's best for us. So try and remember that. We are not extricated. Sometimes you go through hardship because of your faith. Because of your faith. And this was the reason why um, the, 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 the Christians were suffering during the time of Peter. And Peter saw it wise to write to them, to encourage them. But in his first two chapters, it's very important to note that Peter first and foremost addressed them to who they were. Who they were. And I learned something very important there, that sometimes when you are going through problems, it's very important for you to know your identity. It has to be highlighted because if you know who you are, you will know where you are going and it will help you to go through whatever phase you may find yourself in. So um, our main text is taken from First Peter chapter 2. You know, before that, if you read chapter 1 verse 1, he reminded them, look, you guys, you should know who you are. You were Gentiles and now you have been called into the faith. May I remind you that you have been sanctified you have been sprinkled by the blood. And he gave them a lot of 
encouraging things just to let them know that your former life and your current state is completely different. He even called them pilgrims. You know, it's like you are strangers of this world now because you are going to a place called heaven. He says that you have been sanctified of the spirits and uh, for obedience and Christ has sprinkled his blood upon you to be made clean. You know, this is who you are. That was not what you were formerly, but now that you've become a Christian, this is who you are. Sometimes when we go through hard times because of our faith, it's important to highlight all the blessings that our Christian faith has afforded us. It gives us joy. Now, when I'm talking about joy, I'm not saying that you will be laughing at the pain you are going through. It simply means that you are hopeful. You are very positive. That if God has been able to lavish these blessings upon me as a result of my newfound faith in Christ, hey, he will see me through. So that was something that Apostle Peter did. And we realized that he spoke to them that you need milk, First Peter chapter 2, so that you will grow. Sometimes people are not able to handle life's adversities and challenges very well. Uh, because they are not consistently feeding themselves on the steady diet of God's word. And, and why do I use the word diet of God's word? Because right here in the scripture, we see that it's called milk. And last two weeks especially, I spoke about what truly is the milk of the word. If, if you go back to the previous recordings on our podcast, uh, you will see what I mean by what is called the milk of the word. So last week, we packed at First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 to 10, like I said. And it will be important for us to read it again, uh, as it will serve as the basis for our teaching tonight. So let's go to First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 to 10. I read. Before I, I, I read, do we have any questions? Or any contribution you feel like giving. Alright, since the whole place is quiet, it means I can't read them. So first Peter chapter two, verse nine to ten, I read. By you a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. I love the scriptures. Amen. Now, it's very important to note something about the Bible. It, it, it starts this verse with, but, you know, and, you know, English will tell us that you don't really start a statement with but. So this is not really a new statement. It's the continuation of a previous statement. So we will have to go back to what the statement was and why but was interjected. Okay, so now Peter also brought to their remembrance that, look, you are now living stones. 
Uh, how many of you were blessed last week by Pastor Augustine's message? Very powerful. He, he, you know, he hits on so many salient points and confirmed whatever we are doing this week. Peter brought to the remembrance of the Christians that you are living stones. Living stones out of which Christ has become the chief cornerstone. And you are not just living stones, but you are living stones who were used to be built up as a spiritual house. And I did explain this last week. What's the meaning of a spiritual house? A spiritual house simply means where the presence of the Lord is. So under the Old Testament, the tabernacle that was built by Moses, it was a spiritual house. It wasn't a spiritual house per se because of the design. It was a spiritual house because of the Ark of the Covenant. It carried the presence of God. It was a symbol of the presence of God. Now, when you take the Ark of the Covenant out of the tabernacle, it ceases being a spiritual house. So it's only a spiritual house because the presence of the Lord inhabits there. Now, Solomon built the temple. And the temple was also known as the spiritual house. Why was the temple known as a spiritual house? Was it because it was built the design or the peculiarity of the building, not necessarily. It was a spiritual house because the Ark of the Covenant was there, which symbolizes the presence of the Lord. So now, when Peter is saying that believers, now mind you, Peter is not just talking to Gentile Christians who are scattered in parts of Asia Minor. This also applies to us. Okay, so when you are reading this, don't read this uh, out of exclusivism. And when, when, what do I mean by that? That means when you are reading it, you are thinking that Peter is talking to the Christians of his day. Peter is talking to us. It's a letter to us. Okay? So all of us, when we receive Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, we have all become part of living stones who have been used to be built up as a spiritual house. And what does it mean when we are called spiritual houses? It simply means that we carry the presence of the Lord. And we learn this from Acts chapter 17. Apostle Paul looked at uh, uh, the, the, the people in Areopagus and told them, Listen, God has moved out of the temple which are built by the hands of men and now lives in the temples of men. He's moved out. So like I keep on saying, God also knows what it means to move. He understands evacuation because he has moved out before. He has moved from temples that were built by the hands of men and he now lives in the temples or in the bodies of us. Because our body is that holy for, for Christ to dwell there. And how do we know Christ dwells there? Because of the Holy Spirit. So we are all living houses or spiritual houses, we, uh, and, and we are spiritual houses because we are living stones out of which Christ is the cornerstone and we were all being erected as a spiritual house to carry the presence of the Lord. So that's good news. And then a reason for becoming a spiritual house is also to offer up sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices, the holy priesthood, right? So now Peter goes on to say that there were also people who did not receive Christ who became the chief cornerstone. He became a stone 
of stumbling and a rock of offense. And Peter described their faith. He said that people who did not receive Jesus Christ, who became disobedient to him, they will stumble and they will fall. But you who have believed Christ, you who have received the chief cornerstone, are a royal priesthood. Are a royal, a chosen generation. Are a holy nation. Are his own special people. Etc. Etc. So now we, we've brought that statement into context. So today what we want to do is just to look at the titles that Peter gave. And for us to understand this, you, you have to know that these titles were exclusive. You know, Peter was a Jew. Peter was a believer, but he was also a Jew. So Peter was also speaking from Jewish ancestry and Jewish history. These titles that Apostle Peter designated to the Gentile Christians were not inclusive titles under the Old Covenant. It was, it was strictly for Jewish people. So now let's go back again to Exodus chapter 19, verse 1 to 6. Exodus chapter 19, verse 1 to 6. And I read, In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt on the same day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai, for they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountains. So this was um, three months after the Israelites had experienced a mighty deliverance from the hand of the Egyptians through Moses. And uh, Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, Tell the children of Israel. So now, Exodus chapter 19, God is now going to sort of establish a relationship with the nation Israel. Moses knew of God. Aaron had a remote idea of God. Moses knew God. But the nation Israel, they didn't know God. So this is the first time that they are now about to have some sort of relationship with God. And look at what um, God told Moses to tell the children of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you shall indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the children of Israel. So all the four designated titles that Peter threw to the Gentile Christians are seen right here in Exodus chapter 19, verse 1 to 6. Um, especially from verse 4 to 6. The Lord said, I have brought you to myself. When God uses the word, I have brought you to myself, it elicits the picture of you've been chosen, you've been elected. 
So the Jewish people were chosen. They were elected under the Old Testament. This was exclusive. No nation could say we are chosen. No nation could say God has brought us to himself. It was exclusively for the Jewish people. Number two, you are a special treasure. Now, when we read 1 Peter chapter 2, we see that word, his own special people. That means you are my special treasure. So you see it right there. So the word chosen, it's there. You brought me to myself and then his special people. Then he goes on to say, you shall be a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood, and then a holy nation. And these are the words you shall speak to the children of Israel. This was exclusively for Israel. But now Peter being a Jew, who has now become a recipient of God's grace and mercy, is now saying that these exclusive titles are now for anybody who has received Christ as his Lord and personal Savior. If you have experienced the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, you also, you are a chosen generation. God has brought you to himself. You also are a kingdom of priests. You also are a holy nation. And you are also his special treasure above all people. That means you are his own special people. As First Peter chapter 2 paraphrases it. So now, this is not... A title because of lineage. This is now a title of salvation. Receiving Christ as your Lord and personal Savior has also afforded you these titles. Thanks be to God that now I don't need to be a Jew. I just need to receive Jesus Christ, my Lord and personal Savior. That is it. I am also a chosen generation. Also a royal priesthood. A holy nation, a peculiar people. And now, if you read the subsequent verses, Peter goes ahead to warn that now you don't even as you don't even receive these titles or you don't ascribe to these titles by lineage. You now ascribe to these titles because you have become obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's good news. Amen. So anybody who accepts Jesus Christ, their Lord and personal Savior, irrespective of lineage, you are a chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation, his own special people, or as King James Version will use, peculiar people. So now let's go through it. What's the meaning of the word chosen generation? Now, this was mostly to Gentiles. It was a big deal. Because if you look at the history of Gentiles, they have always been outcasts, always been rejected, always been overlooked. They, they were never given a shoe in at all. But now, here is Apostle Peter now writing to Gentiles who already have been rejected. And now they have received Christ and now it's like a double whammy. Peter is saying to these people that rejection is not your friend. You are chosen. And it's important, ladies and gentlemen, listening to me. You might be listening to me by podcast. You might be here presently at the service. Listen, you are chosen. It's very important for you to know that 
I, I think if you are able to even understand your election as God's son, God's daughter, that enough will foster enough courage in you to go through any hard time you are going through. And God choosing us was not accidental. Okay? It's not by happenstance. God choosing us is also not incidental. It didn't have to take an incident for us to be chosen. God choosing us or electing us is by design. By design. By design. Okay? So, God had a reason why he had to put two dispensations, the Old and the New Covenants, for us to understand the concept of we are chosen. So to understand this, go with me to Ephesians chapter 1. You are chosen. Ephesians 1. Let's look at verse 4. Just as he chose us. Who is the us referring to? So Peter is talking, so I'm sorry, this is Paul writing, okay? Paul is talking to anybody who has accepted Christ as his Lord and personal Savior, right? So the us there also refers to you and me. If we have received Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, we have to include ourselves in these verse. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. You have to understand that God chose you. You were chosen by design. And you were chosen before the foundation of the world. That means before God created the heavens and the earth, you were already chosen. You were chosen in him. That's why Jesus Christ is known as the, 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 the lamp that was slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ bringing us redemption was not an accidental plan. It was for thoughts, foreknown, predestined, way ahead before God created the first man. God had already thought of redemption and had designated that Christ will become that sacrificial lamp. In that same vein, before God created the heavens and the earth, before he created Adam, before he, he, he even thought of us coming into existence, he thought of the whole world chosen. If only they will receive Christ. That, that's why we have been chosen in him. That's not what we do. We are chosen because of Christ. It's not because of lineage. Whether you are Jewish or a Gentile. In him. And that's why when we receive Christ as our Lord and personal Savior. It becomes the fulfillment and the embodiment of our election. So you and I are chosen. So today... Have this as an encouragement that God has chosen me. 
Glory be to God. I love that. God has chosen me. You are chosen. And you were chosen before the foundation of the world. You are elected. And your election is not a four-year term. Your election is permanent. You are chosen. You know, government officials who are chosen is subjected to terms. At most, two terms, which is equivalent to eight years. It's over. You are no longer chosen. Now, you will buy fuel. You also stand in the queue in Walmart and shop. You wake up and smell the coffee after eight years. At most. That's why in some countries, some people don't want to cede power. They would rather go for a coup. Because when you are chosen and when you come to that privileged status, it feels so real to come back to living a life of a civilian. But thanks be to God that our election, it doesn't have an expiry date. So when we are talking about the word chosen, also think of the word election. You have been elected. Elected to become a son of God. Elected to walk holy. Elected to be blameless. And walk before him in love. You are chosen. So today, understand the concept of you have been chosen. And when you understand the concept of you have been chosen, anything that happens to you, either good or bad, has the plan of God in it. That's what you have to know. So things are happening to you presently, not because it's accidental. Things are happening to you presently, not because the devil has power over you per se, Things are happening to you presently because it is part of the design plan of God. Amen. That's why on this earth, I was talking to someone the last time, the concept of really experiencing days of heaven on earth is not really real. We will all experience that at the end of this age. Okay? When... This F is abolished. The Bible lets us know that there will be a new heaven, a new earth. Because this F is tainted by sin. I keep saying it. When Christ came to redeem, he had in mind to redeem the people in this world, not the world itself. Christ did not have the F in mind because God is going to create a new heaven and a new F. I'm just repeating Pastor Robert's message. And if you listen to the book of Revelation, he did explain that very well. Amen. So let's go to number two. You are a royal priesthood. What does it mean to be called a royal priesthood? You know, when I look at this phrase, I always remember my earlier years of teaching. I think I did a poor, uh, a poor man's job in interpreting the scripture. I thank God for mercy. I used to interpret the scripture that you have two titles in one. You are a royal and you are a priest. But, you know, as time goes on, when you grow up in your relationship with God, you commit yourself to study, you commit yourself to hearing from the Holy Spirit and not rely on sensation. This word, royal priesthood, is not really sacrosanct with my earlier definition. All right? It's wrong. 
Now, when we talk about the word a royal priesthood, a royal priesthood simply means that you are now the king's priest. Hello, my friend. <laughs> Birthday boy. You are now the king's priest. That's what it simply means. You are the king's priest. So it's not talking about two titles in one, like I used to explain it earlier on. It's just talking about you are now a priest in service to the king. That's why you are a royal priesthood. When you read Exodus chapter 19, it uses the term a kingdom of priests. It simply means that a tribe, excuse me, has been dedicated out of which a lineage of priests will come out from. And if you know your Bible very well, that tribe was called the tribe of Levi. So we are a kingdom of priests. And just like Shaquana said, last week we highlighted the difference between a priest and a pastor. I didn't say it's a kingdom of pastors, you are a kingdom of priests. I think there's a big difference between a priest and a pastor. Every believer is a priest. Some believers are called into the fivefold ministry. Try and remember that. Okay? And why are we called priests? We are called priests because we have direct access to God. That's why when you're a Christian, don't fall for people who will tell you that, let me go and wait on the Lord so that I can find out the mind and the counsel of God concerning your life. Uh, excuse me, what are you doing? Are you not a priest? Have you read your Bible? Didn't the Bible says that you are a royal priesthood? What are you doing? Why does someone have to go and wait on the Lord for you? Why should someone go and seek the mind, the counsel? You know, and people like to really use words. Let me go and seek the mind, the counsel, the opinion. And the will of God. Look, all those things, you can seek it yourself because you are a priest. You have direct access to God. We are no longer under the Old Testament. There is a reason why God has set ministry gifts in place. And one of the reasons why ministry gifts have been set in place is not to seek God on our behalf. Okay? Their job is to train us is to help us to grow to become matured, fortified Christians that we will not be deceived. We will not go into error. I did a whole teaching on this last year on His Church, The Church. And if you listen to the message, I, I talked on this very extensively. So when God gives us ministry gifts in the form of pastor, apostle, evangelist, they are not supposed to go to God on our behalf. No, no, that's not their job. All right? Their job is to train us. Their job is to teach us the word of God. Their job is to help us to grow so that we, who are recipients of these fivefold ministries, will also begin to do the work of the ministry. That's the reason. And you and I cannot effectively do the work of ministry if we are not going to God in fellowship, in prayer. We all have direct access. Every believer is supposed to do the work of ministry. Every believer. I like the NIV. We have been equipped so that we will do acts of service. Every believer is supposed to do acts of service. But 
you can't be an effective worker for God if you don't take time to go to God. You have access. You have access. Don't let bad teaching obscure your access. Don't let bad teaching make you feel that only some people have the right to go to God and you don't. You can go to God because you're a priest. You're a priest. You have direct access to God. And then one function of the priest is that they offer sacrifices to God. Very important. When you read verse 5 of our chapter that we are looking at tonight, it says that we have been made living stones, being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. So that is also one function of a priest. We have been called to offer sacrifices. That's why we are priests. Under the Old Testament, they sacrificed bulls and goats. New Testament, when we are called priests, we don't sacrifice bulls and goats. We learned about that in our seas of redemption. There is no power in bulls and goats anymore because the blood of Jesus has perfected and completed our redemption. So there is no more sacrifice for sins if you rely on the avenue of bulls and goats for atonement. Amen. So what do we sacrifice? That's it. Let's talk about that. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. The first sacrifice, our body. The Bible says, the Apostle Paul, Brethren, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. It's Bible study. I wish we could read. Let's read, okay? It's Bible study. That's the difference between preaching and Bible study. We, we have to read it okay so go with me to romans chapter 12 verse 1 romans chapter 12 verse 1 i beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of god that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable to god which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. My emphasis is verse 1. We present our bodies as a living sacrifice. So when we, we are called priests, priests offer sacrifice. So the sacrifice that we are to offer is our body. We have to offer our, sacri- our body as a sacrifice. And what does it mean? It simply means that we have to present it holy and acceptable to God. Amen. So what's the second thing? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to him. The next offering is 
praise. So we are priests. We offer sacrifices. We offer praise. That's why it's important not to miss praise. Our church, by the grace of God, nobody comes late. I don't know, maybe it's because we are in, mostly we have been in a virtual space, but nobody can, which is great, you know. But, but sometimes when church didn't have a virtual space and we had to congregate physically, you, you, you find out by observation that many people will say, oh, the preaching is the most important part of the service. Not really true. That's not the most important part of the service. Number one, do you know who we have congregated before? Service means we have congregated before God. And what is the most important part of the service to God is the praise and the worship. Not the preaching. The preaching doesn't benefit God. The preaching benefits you. It doesn't benefit God. What message can we preach? Do you think God is in heaven and he shouts, Woo, good preaching. I don't think so. Um, he will be impressed. He will be pleased that, oh, wow, my son or my daughter has studied. Because the Bible says that study to show yourself approved unto God. You know, so he, he, will be, he will be happy. He will approve you like, oh, wow, you are studying. But God is not going to be shouting, wow, revelation. Wow, heavy, heavy. He's not going to be doing that. What ministers to God is our praise and worship. And it's a sacrifice. We have to know that. The most important segment or the most important part of a church service is the praise and worship. I say it here. Not the preaching. The preaching is for us. The praise for him. And I'll even say that there, let me even dare to even say that there is one more part even more important than the preaching. That is the offering. You don't send offering to heaven, but whenever you give to the church, you have given to God. So when we say that we have gathered to serve God, things that serve us to his interests is all our what I call important. And that's praises and worship and then giving of offerings and tithes before the preaching. Because the preaching is for us, not for God. God doesn't need preaching. But God needs our sacrifice of praise. And when we also give to God, we are making a statement that we are building our treasures in heaven. Excuse me, not on earth. Amen. So, thanks be to God. So today, from today on, take your praises and your worship very serious because it's a sacrifice of praise which is offered by the fruits of your lip. Amen. Number three, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16. But do not forget to do good and to share, 
for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Doing good is a sacrifice. Remember, you're a priest. You also offer sacrifice or sacrifices. And one of the sacrifices is doing good. Whenever you do good, it's a sacrifice. Amen. The Bible lets us know that God is well pleased when we do good because it's a sacrifice. God is well pleased with such sacrifices. So doing good is a sacrifice. Amen. The last one, number four. Philippians chapter 4, verse 18. I was going to finish today. It doesn't look like it. Indeed, I have all and abound. I'm full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you a sweet smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well pleasing to God. Our money, our gifts. Also sacrifices. Amen. So, a priest under the Old Testament offers four sacrifices. Our bodies, the praise which comes from the fruit of our lips, doing good, and our money and gifts. These are our sacrifices. Amen. So that's why we are called priests. We are called priests because we sacrifice. Not bulls and goats in different forms. And we are priests because we have direct access to God. The only people that cannot seek God, that we can even say, oh, may we seek God's opinion concerning your life, are unbelievers. And what's the opinion? That they may be saved. We stand in the gap, in the middle between Man, that's the unbeliever and God, abridging the differences. And we abridge the difference by preaching the gospel, which is called the word of reconciliation. I pray for them. Whenever you minister and pray for an unbeliever, for him to be saved, you are doing a priestly job. That's you are trying to abridge the gap that has already been abridged, okay? It has been abridged because Christ died and God has reconciled the world to himself. But the unbeliever needs to come to that reality to receive Christ as his Lord and personal Savior. And sometimes for that to happen, we need to be mediators and pray, okay? And that's all. So that's where an unbeliever needs help. And that's why we are priests. We are to do that because we have access. But once he becomes a believer, he also has access. And now it's, it's our job as matured believers, people who have a good standing in the faith, to train the person to, to make it a habit of enjoying the presence of the Lord, having access, direct access to the presence of the Lord, and building his relationship and his walk of faith. Amen. A minute to eight and I'm done. Questions or contributions? We are out of time though.
with our last questions and contributions. Amen. Well, I got two more to tackle. A holy nation, his own special people. And we'll deal with that next week. And then now we will come to the main crux of the series for this reason. Amen. Questions or contributions are welcome. The floor is open. It's 8 o'clock exactly. Uh, but please, if you can give me five minutes of your time, I appreciate it because I want to hear your thoughts either by contribution or by question. God bless you. I know I was late, but um, the past that I heard, I, I'm not sure if I heard correctly. Did you say that we are a kingdom of priests and not um, both kings and priests? Yes, I did. Oh, okay. I, I, well, I, I think I will, I will just go and listen again and then to, to be able to better understand that part. Okay, so please, who can uh, help Minister Lily here? What What did you hear about that? So, if we can also bring clarity to that, so that I know we we were present here. So, what do I mean by that? When we say a kingdom of priests or a royal priesthood. Oh, nobody will help her out. We were elected to be priests. So that's where we're coming from, a kingdom of priesthood. So priest it's not like by, it's not by choice. Like when you are being called to be a pastor, so, or to be in the other fold ministry, but my understanding of that is that it was he, like God, destined or called us to be priesthood, to be priests. So we are all coming from from the kingdom of priesthood. Amen. That's good. I appreciate your contribution. Who else? Okay, when you read Revelation chapter 1 verse 6, Revelation chapter 1 verse is that he has both made us kings and priests. That is different from 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. They are not the same. Because sometimes we use the word royal priesthood, we think that it's two in one. But the royal priest means we are the king's priest, that's all. So it's not necessarily talking about two types, it's not talking about royalty and priesthood here all right so not not really the same and when we talk about a kingdom of priests a kingdom of priests simply means that a tribe that will have a lineage of priests do you understand so and, and when you you read the bible in the old testament the tribe that where priests came from was called the tribe of levi it's a kingdom of priests because out of there came priests, one after the other. Okay. That's like Hollywood. Hollywood is a kingdom of actors and actresses. Because that's where 
entertainment industry, actors, different some artists, like that tribe. So when we are called a kingdom of priests, it simply means that we are at the king's service doing priestly work. And I don't know whether you caught my earlier statement. I said that bad Bible interpretation. My earlier is of teaching this. I used to teach this. You know, God has made us royals and priests, and He has Revelation one six. But that is not the right text. First Peter chapter two verse nine is not the right text to exegete that. You have to exegete it properly according to context. Amen. It's eight oh five. Thank you for giving me five minutes of your time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight as we have heard your word. May we have the realization of we are priests, that we have direct access. May we also have the realization and consciousness that we are chosen, we are elected. And our, our, our being elected, it's not accidental or incidental. It's by design. You chose us before the foundation of the world. It simply means that you have our welfare. You have our interests. You have everything that concerns us to your heart. And for that, we can rejoice and give you praise. I pray for anybody who is going through it at this present stage. That, Lord, you will strengthen them. Help them to lift their head up high. Help them to persevere. And of a truth, may they derive strength in your identity that you have ascribed upon us in jesus name amen god bless you guys please god will make a date with our presiding bishop um this sunday i believe it's gonna be good all right invite somebody and let's let's meet and let's have a good service good night